0: What's going on, everybody? This is another edition of the Passball Show. Glad to jump right in with you. In a little bit, we're going to talk uh, about a little bit of the NBA free agency. Uh, I want to make a couple points about the NFL with a couple promises to a couple of our viewers. I'm going to start out by talking a little bit of baseball because we, we got a chance on a contender to do a show recapping the trading deadline. And I kind of believe everything that, that was brought up there. But you know, as you hit the final stretch of the Major League Baseball season, I think it's very interesting to think about what the possibilities are. And if you're going to break down the teams right now at this very moment that are in positions or prime positions to make it to the playoffs, you'd probably, I'd say, 5 out of 6 or 4 out of 6. You could probably guarantee or put good money on the fact that they probably will make it to the postseason. There's obviously some doubts about the Mets. They sit there at this moment that I'm doing a show, five games over 500. Uh, obviously, nobody's standing up in that division. The Phillies are at 500. The Braves are just under 500. The Nationals have put up the white flag, they've quit for the season. The Marlins, very tough for the Miami Marlins to come back and replicate what they did last year. It's not that easy because the Marlins were not expected to be postseason bound last year. They were not expected to be really in the mix with the other teams in that division. But the Mets weren't good. The Nationals weren't good. The Phillies were disappointing. And the fact that MLB opened up its playoff format to put 62.5% of its teams in the postseason kind of like the NBA does, kind of like the NHL does, just for one season, gave the Miami Marlins a good opportunity to go in there and make, the, make it to the postseason. Now, they they, they identified themselves this year and said, hey, you know what, I don't know if last year was necessarily a fluke, but it probably was something that was very hard to sustain for another season. Now, are the Marlins going to eventually get back on track? Yes, I believe that they are. I think this is a team going in the right direction. I love the trade they made dealing Starling Marte and getting Jesus Lazardo. Jesus Lazardo is a potential top of the rotation type of pitcher and you know certainly adds some strength to the Miami Marlins staff going forward. That being said, when it comes to the 2021 season, the Mets are probably in the best position, but I think absolutely believe at this moment they are the most vulnerable and because of that I don't know what to expect over the next couple weeks I have to speak up as being a fan of the team from Queens for the last 34 years I root for this team I don't and I've identified a long time ago that I don't want to make my show centered around my feelings about my favorite baseball team But I believe they probably are the most vulnerable team in baseball at this moment right now. And I think because of that, you're going to watch the Phillies. You're going to watch the Braves. Like I said, the Nationals and the Marlins are going to play spoiler. They're going to go out there and try to beat anybody that they're going up there against. But right now, I'd be concerned about the Phillies and be concerned about the Braves. And think about what these teams did at the trading deadline, mostly the Atlanta Braves, because the Braves which I'm sure some of their fans looked at some of the things that unfortunately happened to them this year. The uh, disgusting allegations against Marzell Zuna, uh, a player that was great for them last year, a player that they signed to a four-year contract to be an Atlanta Brave for a long period of time. Obviously, anything that's domestic violence-oriented should be considered intolerable and unacceptable. And you have to deal with that, but also the deal with the baseball angle of it, that Marzell Ozuna is not going to be suiting up, playing left field, and batting in the middle of the Atlanta Braves batting order. So you get yourself through that, and now you got to deal with one of the most exciting young players in baseball, kind of right about to enter his prime, and Ronald Acuna gets hurt and is out for the rest of the season. You couple that with the fact that the Braves, for the most part of the season, have been playing under five hundred. In fact, they haven't been over five hundred all season. It would probably be a good year to just say, hey, it's not our season. But the Braves at this deadline were very aggressive. They went out there. They got Jorge Soler. They got Adam Duvall. Now, is this lineup as good as it would be with the baseball reference pages of Aconia and Ozuna? on the sidelines, or if they happen to be in a lineup, absolutely no. But the Braves are better, better at the trading deadline than they were prior. Freddie Freeman's still there, Ozzie Albies is still there, and they got a young star in Austin Riley who really is starting to get some of the notoriety and recognition that he deserves. I'd be, look. I'd look at the Braves for the last three years, which by the way, they won the NL East each one of those years. I would get to a point right now, and I want to put it on record, I'd be shocked if the Atlanta Braves didn't win the National League East. Now, is that the way it's going to go? Did I essentially give them the kiss of death? No. Listen, this has nothing to do with what my rooting interests are. The Braves right now, they got Ian Anderson coming back. They have a talented ball club, and I think they're going to start to put pressure on the New York Mets now what either the Braves or the Phillies have to do right now and this will be my concern for either one of these squads is they have to play some consistent baseball neither of those teams have done that and it's not like the Mets have, have really done anything to separate themselves from anybody else but they've they've their worst stretches of the season have been 500 baseball in fact the worst stretch of their season probably is the last week or so right now now, could things take a turn and be even more sour? Sure. I mean, they have a 13-game stretch in August where they're playing the Giants, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Dodgers, or some you know type of uh, order like that for 13 consecutive games. Now, that's the only time that they're going to play them, not counting in the postseason if there if there is one for the Mets. But that's going to be a brutal stretch playing against two of the best teams in baseball. And playing nothing but them for 13 consecutive games. But the question is going to be because the Mets have struggled to run away with this division, the Braves and the Phillies are both in positions right now. If they could play the best baseball for the rest of the season and play, let's say, 10, 12 games over 500 for the rest of the way, they got as good of a chance as the Mets to win that division. Mets just don't score enough runs. Every team's suffering through. Injuries in some way, shape, or form. But I'd be worried about the Mets who have been in first place for, what, 80 consecutive days or something like that. I think that rain, as far as being in first place, is probably going to come to an end soon. And like I said, I'm not Nostradamus. I haven't jumped into the DeLorean, cracked it up to 88 miles an hour, and gone into the middle of August and tell you where the New York Mets are in the standings and who's leading the National League East. But I'd be worried about this team right now. And if I'm the Braves, if I'm the Phillies, this is their shot, their chance, their opportunity to make up some ground. Phillies play the Mets this weekend. If they can sweep them, they could take two out of three. I think the momentum is starting to move in their direction. And the Braves had a as good of a trading deadline as they could possibly have. Getting Soler, getting Duval, They added some power to their lineup. And oh yeah, getting Dick Rod from the Pittsburgh Pirates strengthens their bullpen a little bit. Are the Mets a little better with Javier Baez? Sure. But at some point, as a unit, their offense has to show that they can put up some runs. I don't care who they're playing, whether it's the Marlins or the Orioles or the Dodgers and the Giants. they got to find some way to score four or five runs a game on a consistent basis because their pitchers, once again, are pitching on eggshells, knowing if they get down a runner two, they're in trouble, because that offense does not have the capability of hanging with the other team's offense. Now listen, are they good late in clutch? Or you know, late in the game when they're down a run or two? Yeah, they've had some of the best wins in baseball coming into the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings this year. But you can't count on this team to do that game in and game out they have to put up early on in the game a consistent enough amount of runs to make you believe that this is a good baseball team. Is it a bad baseball team? No. But I don't look at this team right now at this moment as a playoff team. And if you look at, if the season were to end today, on August 3rd, 2021, the AL division winners would be the Rays, the White Sox, and the Astros. The wild card winners would be the Red Sox and the Athletics. In the NL, the division winners would be the Braves, the Brewers, and the Giants, and the wild card winners would be the Dodgers and the Padres. Out of those ten teams, it's pretty safe to say that the Mets are the most vulnerable. But if you're talking about one of the winners at the trading deadline, you certainly have to look across town at the New York Yankees. That were bold. They were bold. They were aggressive. They got Joey Gallo and they got Anthony Rizzo on their terms with the Rangers and Cubs respectively picking up the player salaries for the rest of the season. Yankees get to stay under the luxury tax threshold. This is a time for them to make a move. And coming into this season, it was very hard to say that the Yankees on August 3rd would be on the outside looking in when it comes to the AL playoffs. Because I looked at the White Sox, and I liked what they did this offseason, and I love the position that they're in. They certainly, to me at this moment, looked like the best team in the American League. And that's something that I believed as we got into spring training this year. The Rays are our surprise after trading Blake Snell, not re-signing Charlie Morton. Some of the moves they made over the course of the season, it seems like everything they touch turns into gold. Every player they move on from doesn't seem to have a whole lot left. The Red Sox have been a surprise, but similar to the Giants in the National League, you get to a certain point where you believe in them as a baseball team. And to somehow think that the Red Sox are anywhere near resembling what they were in 2020 is I I don't know. That's just some bad logic if you really feel that way because You know, I've I've showed and I've spoken about the lack of value in a Major League Baseball manager. This is the one spot where I feel like I'm eating a little bit of crow here. Alex Cora has made a difference in that clubhouse. Alex Cora has changed the perception of that ball club, which was down and out last year. A lot of it had to do with the trade of Mookie Betts. You know, you won a World Series championship in 2018. You know, you look at the injury to Chris Sale. This looked like it was a team that was on its way backwards, on its way down, and they've come out there with, I think, a lot of the energy from their manager, who I think all along, the players that have been there for a while believed in, and and they can't can't be looked at like they're going anywhere soon. So to me, the most intriguing division in baseball has got to be the American League East. Like I said, to this point, you say a raise. Based off of anything that they touch turning into gold, you got to start to believe that maybe they're God's team. You know, you look at this this team that seems like every player that they move on from is moving on at the right time for them. Every player they bring in, like I've spoken before about systems in baseball, for some reason the Rays have a system where they import certain players in and they expect and get the same results out of them. So you can't believe that they're going anywhere. And that doesn't bode too well for the Yankees, but if there is a team in baseball, that's going to get a shot in the arm. If there's a team in baseball, that's going to get uh, you know, a huge rush of energy going into the second couple last couple months of the season, it's going to be the New York Yankees. Tell me, Anthony Rizzo doesn't strengthen that offense? Joey Gallo, you know, you add that to Judge and Stanton and the other players that are in that lineup. The Yankees should be going out there scoring four, five, six runs every game. You know, they, they had a nice weekend coming off the trading deadline, but now they're still at this moment on the outside looking in. Is it easy? Would it be an easy? take to say the Yankees are probably the team with the best chance of making the playoffs that isn't in a playoff spot right now? Well, I think it was kind of a tie. It's between the Yankees and I'd say the Braves and the Phillies. Part of it, like I said, is the Yankee surge that you expect after making moves like that, going out there, getting Gallo, getting Rizzo. Andrew Haney wasn't good, but I think he adds a little bit of depth to their rotation. I know they got a little bit of a coronavirus problem. Garrett Cole going on the, the the CI or the CL. Gio Urshela has got a hamstring injury. Every team's got to deal with injuries, but certainly the Yankees, even though they got some ground to make up, I think you know if you're going to pick a team in baseball that's not in the playoff picture as we speak to go on a 10-game winning streak. To win 12 out of 15. To win 18 out of 24. I I believe in the Yankees. And like I said. I looked at the Phillies. Made a deal with the Texas Rangers. To get Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. I'm not huge on Kyle Gibson. He's having a great year. You know his track record. For his time with the Minnesota Twins. Said hey he'd probably be a formidable. Middle of the rotation starter. But. But. I think he was pitching a little out of his league, a little out of his head or out of his mind for the Rangers, especially a bad baseball team to go out there and really be the formidable starter for a team that's pretty much losing every game that you don't pitch. I thought a team was going to pick up Kyle Gibson and he wasn't going to perform well for him. Now, does that mean he's not going to pitch well for the Phillies? I don't know. Ian Kennedy's kind of had a little bit of resurgence in his career as a, a late game reliever. Now the Phillies other than that were kind of quiet. I don't know if they're really making that push for it, but the division in the end at least is there for the taking. If either the Phillies or the Braves can step up a little bit. You know, I look at the Brewers. I look at the White Sox. Certainly the White Sox got nothing to worry about. If there's one team that I would say is a guarantee that's going to make the playoffs, I, I would I would make a wager, a wager that would hurt me pretty bad if the White Sox didn't make the playoffs. And then he got the the Western divisions, which, by the way, you know everybody talks about the NL West with the Giants being what they are and the Dodgers obviously going out there getting the, getting Max Scherzer, getting Trey Turner, the Padres as aggressive as they've been for the last year plus or two years. You know, they seem to be in on everybody. They got a great squad. Tatis being hurt doesn't help them at the moment. And who would have thought, you know, two teams sitting there in their current spot in their divisions in third place. Yankees, Padres. That's why it's baseball. You know, baseball is something that really is hard to predict. You can't say that teams are going to finish in a certain order. Who had the Giants being what they are? Who had the... I mean, to me, I don't know. More people may believe in the Rays than I do. I thought this was a team heading for destruction. I thought this was a team that, uh, you know, Cinderella moment was done. The clock struck midnight. They had a great year last year, and part of it was the talent that they had on their team. But when they decided to walk away from that talent, when they said, hey, now's the time to trade Blake Snell, how could you predict that Blake Snell would not look like a top-of-the-rotation pitcher pitching anywhere else in Tampa Bay. Blake Snell is the one getting pulled out of World Series games or ALCS games when it seems visible that he's got more left in the tank. He's out there, he's hurt right now, but when he's been healthy, he hasn't been good for the Padres. And to me, you look at... The AL West and the NL West. The AL West probably isn't getting as much credit for the performance of the teams in that division. The Astros have basically held up their middle fingers, said, you know what, you're going gonna to boo us? You know, every, everybody that watches baseball is an expert on what exactly happened with the Astros in 2017. They've gone out there and they, they've done them. They're 20-something games over 500. Look like they're going to win the AL West. After a little bit of a down season last year. Yes, they made the playoffs, but they finished under 500. The A's, similar to the Rays, moved on from a couple players. But, you know, listen, they have they have some strength. Matt Chapman, Loriano, they, they, they went out there and they made a... Uh, a bold move by paying Starlin Marte's contract or I'm sorry by having the Marlins pay Starlin Marte's contract and parting with Jesus Lizardo then, and then there's the Seattle Mariners and, and I think when it came to the trading deadline this year there was a lot of talk about should the Mariners kind of go more in or like I said with a team like the Giants as many games as they are over 500 and pretty much getting closer and closer to locking up a playoff spot. Do you necessarily have to part with your future to make a run in the playoffs this year? Especially if that run was unexpected. Because I think it's interesting to look at it that way. And I'm not saying the Mariners or the Giants or anybody else, that may not have had realistic playoff aspirations coming into this season should say, hey, it wasn't supposed to be our year. I don't believe in that way of thinking. I think that's a lousy and lazy thought process and philosophy. But I think the, the Mariners are looking at their future. Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelenic, Logan Gilbert, you know, amongst others. They have a lot of good young prospects that they expect to be core pieces of their ball club going forward. And they made the deal for Abraham Toro with the Astros trading Kendall Graveman, which I think was kind of a question mark because Graveman's been their best relief pitcher and they traded him to a division rival. The team they're chasing, the Mariners are chasing the Astros. Why would you trade your best relief pitcher to the team that's leading your division and you're trying to go out there and beat and catch? But then they made the move for Diego Castillo. They obviously got a couple pieces back, including Toro, who I think is a controllable young player. Maybe they're third, starting third baseman down the road. If you think of Toro at third, J.P. Crawford at short, Shedlong at second, Evan White at first. That may very well be their infield going forward. and They're all young players and they all have a ridiculous amount of upside. Then you throw Rodriguez and Kelenic in the outfield. Taylor Trammell. And you got uh, Torrens, the young catcher. This is a team that through some trades, yes, but also through their scouting and the development of their minor league system, they could, and I'm going to make a weird comparison here, a random comparison. And obviously, this would be contingent on these players becoming absolute stars. But I look at the young core of offensive players for the Seattle Mariners, and I think of the early 90s Cleveland Indians. Now, granted, you know, they, there's no Jim Tomey, there's no Manny Ramirez, there's no Albert Bell. At this moment in time. You know, Evan White's gotta step his game up. You know, Jared Kellinick's gotta become an absolute star. You know, there's no Kenny Loftins in this group. But I think from a potential standpoint, this Mariner team can build that type of core. And I remember as a kid kind of, you know, as a as a baseball fan, just enjoying watching these players develop and grow together. And I think that's something that has to be spoken of when you're trying to build a winner for a long period of time. And if you're asking me, why weren't the Mariners more in for this season? I think they would love to make the playoffs this year. If they made it to the postseason and had a good series against a, a team, let's say to win a wild card game. And then they match up against the White Sox and push them to you know, the the distance when it comes to a series. It'll be a great learning experience. It'll put him in a very good position, would certainly rise the expectations for next season. But I don't know if it was worth doing at the expense of screwing around with this young core that Jerry DePoto is trying to build there. And I know Jerry DePoto has got a battle against himself when it comes to trades. He looks at his squad, his 40 man roster, the depth of his team from A to Z. And he wants to move on from it. He wants to flip players left and right. He wants to trade more players than Jack McKeon. But the best move for the Mariners in this deadline was probably to not be so active. And they weren't. Like I said, the Graveman trade takes a little bit of heat. And I get it. Especially dealing them to the Astros. But I think this is a good group of young players that are going to play well together and if you're thinking about teams to rise in July, teams to rise in August, I wouldn't be surprised if the Mariners were five games better at the end of August. And maybe make it a little bit of a push for the Athletics, towards the Athletics or the Rays or the Red Sox, whoever are in those two wildcard positions. I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to win the division. I think the Astros are going to pull away. I think the Astros are going to be fine. I think the the mantra of the Astros is kind of a big screw you to baseball. You know They don't feel like they were treated right. They feel like everybody views them as something that they don't believe that they are. And I believe deep down that the Astros probably didn't cause as much harm as a lot of people believe that they did. Because what we need to know is how many other teams were doing what the Astros were doing. And you're hearing reports from players that are admitting that stuff like this has been going on in other clubhouses and other dugouts and on the field for other teams. And the Athletic, which did a good job pushing players to get a story, gets Mike Spire, Mike Fires to speak. MLB does an investigation. They find that there really is some wrongdoing there. The Astros lose some draft picks. Obviously, A.J. Hinch loses his job. Probably didn't deserve to. Jeff Luton now. I think it's kind of a shady character. He loses his job. And the Astros kind of feel that they are a scapegoat for cheating that's gone on in baseball for 150 years. But most importantly, cheating that's going on in regards to using replay monitors, which you, I mean, if you had enough foresight, you could have seen that the monitors, as they're sitting up there in a dugout to be able to see different things. At some point, somebody was going to take some liberty with that. At some point, somebody was going to try to take advantage of the fact that they could see certain things on the field. And if they can, and they could get some information and relay it to their hitters, would that not be advantageous to a team trying to win games? And if you think about it, the catcher, you know for however many years keeps putting number one down for a fastball you make it so blatantly obvious and if the hitter could see out of the corner of his eye that you're putting number one down for a pa- fastball you could read that fastball and hit it and hit it a mile teams need teams need to do a better job of protecting their signs and I understand their sequences. Hey, we go with the third sign, whatever. The pitcher and the catcher know it. A lot of signs are coming from the dugout. So the catcher, even though he's involved, he's not relaying anything. But I think there should be a, a more thorough process when it comes to signs and the way that they're relayed onto the hitters. I mean, a simple thing when you're talking about catchers, just sitting there with putting one down for a fastball, two for a curveball, wiggle for the off-speed pitch. Why are you making it so obvious? And then you have the nerve, the audacity to get on your opponent when they're they're, they're taking their signs. Stop making a sign so obvious. You figure in the year of 2021 with technology that there'd be some sort of communication between a pitcher and a catcher. That wouldn't involve one for a fastball, two for a curveball, and the wiggle is the off-speed pitch. At some point, you'd want to see some change. Baseball, who has taken technological advantages and advances in every level of the game, has not gone anywhere when it comes to the relaying of signs from a catcher to a pitcher. And they got nobody to blame but themselves. And whether it was the Astros, whether it was a dozen other teams that were also doing it too, but we're not talking about because the Athletic didn't do a story about them. Competitors in a whole history of competition are going to do what they can to get any advantage over those that they are competing against. So I promised I'd talk a little NBA. Obviously the big news, and obviously there's been some free agent moves with Kyle Lowry going to the Heat. Uh, Obviously some teams look better, some teams look a little worse. Every team looks at the amount of salary cap space they have, and when free agency starts, they start thinking about what type of players would make that much of an impact. The Heat look better, they do. You add Lowry to that mix, Pat Riley running that organization, coming off of a disappointing season last year. They made it to the NBA Finals in a bubble when they lost to the Lakers. Kind of unexpected, but they got a lot of good young players come together. You know, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. You know, they, they really did look like they kind of hit their stride. We're due for a disappointment this past year, and they they, they disappointed. Didn't seem to compete against the Bucs in the first round when they made the playoffs this year. Obviously, the Bucs winning the NBA Finals. So, you know, you you don't really look too bad or feel too bad when after you get over the feeling of being eliminated in the postseason, you take a little solace, or you could, if the team that you lost to ends up winning the whole thing. Kyle Lowry makes that team better. Obviously, the headlines are going to be Russell Westbrook joining the Lakers. Which, I think if you thought three, four years ago, you just wonder from a salary cap standpoint how you'd be able to fit LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook on that same team. And what does that do in regards to the the rest of the construction of the team? Because they traded Kuzma and Caldwell Pope and then didn't re-sign Alex Caruso. And they seem to be a little bit weaker when it comes to defense. You know, LeBron tries to balance offense and defense. And he can be when he wants to be a great defensive player. Anthony Davis is big on the defensive end when he's healthy. Russell Westbrook. Listen, as far as, as dynamic of a player as he is offensively. Mr. Triple Double. He's absolutely on his way to the NBA Hall of Fame when he's done playing. Will the Lakers have or be able to balance enough defense with the scoring punch that they have with the three players that they have? I think it's very hard if you go back in history. Even even LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. I mean, I think the thought of LeBron and A.D. and Westbrook is probably the best three-player combination in a history of basketball since Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, and Elgin Baylor. Now listen, there's been good threesomes in the NBA. But it's going to be impossible to beat Wilt and West and Baylor. I mean, you're talking about three all-time greats basically playing the prime, and the main bulk of their careers together. How long does the LeBron, AD, and Westbrook relationship last in regards to how many years they're going to play together? I don't know. But one thing that has to be factored in is the fact that Russell Westbrook, as great of a player as he is, as absolute top five NBA player at this moment, and we could you know break down whether he belongs, you know, closer to 2 or 3 or falls back towards 5. He's one of the best players in the NBA, certainly one of the most dynamic scorers and offensive minded players in the NBA. Westbrook doesn't have a history or a track record of winning. And if he doesn't win or if the Lakers don't win with him, I think that's something that is going to bug Russell Westbrook when it comes to evaluating him as an all-time great player. Because I think there's many dynamics to all-time greats. And you could talk about Bill Russell and his 11 NBA championships. You could talk about Tom Brady and his seven Super Bowl wins, his 10 Super Bowl appearances. And I think you, you could talk about how often somebody is part of a winning team and use that, at, if you want, as the, uh, the, the, the barometer to judge how great that player was. Russell Westbrook is going to be playing for his fourth team in four seasons after really being the franchise player in Oklahoma City. And obviously... There's the the ghost of Christmas past when you remember when Westbrook was paired with Kevin Durant and James Harden. And you talk about a big three. Maybe if you put those three together now, would you have different results that you'd be expecting? Because it's hard to pair three great players like Westbrook and Harden and Durant together. And he kind of had that in L.A. You know, They tried Westbrook and Harden again with the Houston Rockets two years ago. That didn't work out. Harden kind of forced his way out. Westbrook was traded to Washington for John Wall. <coughs> Excuse me. I tried to get get away without a cough, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> Please forgive me. But, you know, the, the Washington team kind of kind of showed a little fight towards the end of the year. They made it to the playoffs. The team wasn't that bad. But you wonder, some players just play their whole career and don't win. Carl Malone and John Stockton are going to be all-time greats when it comes to, you know, Hall of Famers and NBA players. They never won a championship. Charles Barkley. Never won a championship. You know, in baseball, Ty Cobb never won a World Series. Ted Williams never won a World Series. And sometimes it's about what type of teammates you're centered with. You can't do it by yourself. This isn't tennis. You're not Roger Federer or Serena Williams going out there competing for yourself with the help of nobody else. You need you need to have some role players and you've seen some great players that you know are not stars, but they're very good in the moment, can hit a big shot. It's also important to surround yourself with the right winning type of players. And obviously LeBron James and his championship pedigree, AD's got a championship now. The expectation could not possibly be any higher for the Los Angeles Lakers coming into the season. Now, if you're looking at the Lakers and you want to say something bad about the Lakers, like I said, from a defensive standpoint, I think they're a little weaker, but they were pretty aggressive. They brought back uh, Dwight Howard after a year in Philadelphia, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, going to be interesting to see how these players kind of uh, help them and obviously health is going to be very important lebron wasn't healthy this past year ad couldn't even suit up for playoff games he was that hurt and obviously you know he wanted to be out there but now you look at westbrook who's going to bring and i don't i don't know if it's necessarily baggage with him But I think it's an expectation that at some point he's going to have to be part of a winning team. Maybe he can't do it by himself, but surely if he was matched up with Harden again, they should make a run in Houston. Surely if he was matched up with Bradley Beal in Washington, they should be able to do something. Now it's with LeBron who may be the greatest player to ever play in NBA basketball history. And Anthony Davis, who by the way, LeBron and AD won with the Lakers together. Kind of like Kevin Durant going to Golden State with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. They won two championships before Kevin Durant got there. And yes, they won again. They made another NBA Finals. But Kevin Durant kind of got that little uh, burden off his shoulder by winning a championship, even though he had the benefit of two great players there on a team that had already won. Westbrook is going to take this route. And like I said, I think it has to be known that Westbrook obviously is chasing a championship. And now he's willing to kind of become a nomad or a gypsy And now play for his fourth team in four years. And is certainly as equipped as he has ever been as an NBA player to win a championship. The question is, will it happen? And if it doesn't, it's not going to be a knock on LeBron as much. It's not going to be a knock on AD as much. If things don't work out, if the Lakers are one and done in the playoffs... Let's say all three of those players are healthy and you watch the likes of of Phoenix Prosper or some of the other teams in the Western Conference as they're bulking up and trying to get better and making a run for the playoffs this coming year. If they get better and the Lakers get a little worse, a lot of blame is going to be thrown towards Russell Westbrook. To this point, he hasn't won a championship. He's certainly chasing one. Are the Lakers better or worse with Westbrook in the mix? I think LeBron can be that kind of fill-in-the-gaps type of guy. He doesn't have to be the ultimate scorer. Westbrook can facilitate, can pop 30 a game. He can get the triple-doubles day in and day out. AD can help out on offensive and defensive boards. But once again, I can't name a big three on a given team. Not named Chamberlain, West, and Baylor that looks as good on paper as LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. So when it comes to the upcoming NFL season, one of the lazy takes when it comes to One of the lazy takes when it comes to the history of football. You say it's very easy to expect the two teams that played in the Super Bowl are the favorites to rematch in the next respective Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs have been in consecutive Super Bowls, beating the 49ers two years ago, and of course losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past year. Consecutive Super Bowls in the history of the Super Bowl era. Green Bay winning one and two. Miami winning seven and eight. The Steelers winning nine and 10. The Steelers winning 13 and 14. The 49ers winning 23 and 24. The Cowboys winning 27 and 28. Denver, winning 32 and 33. New England. And I'm struggling with Roman numerals. (laughs) Winning 38 and 39. And it hasn't happened since. So the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, even though Tom Brady was the quarterback, the facilitator, the leader of the last team in the NFL that won consecutive Super Bowls. You know, it hasn't happened in uh, quite a while. You're talking about, what, 18 years? It'll be 18 and 19 years ago when the Patriots made it to the Super Bowl, first beating Carolina and then beating Philadelphia. And how many rematches have there been in Super Bowl history? Because that's that seems to be the take that you hear every year. The two teams that made it to the respective Super Bowls are expected to go there again. And I'm looking. I'm gonna scroll down to each Super Bowl and tell you where there's been a repeat Super Bowl. And I know for a fact that that the Bills and the Cow, uh, yeah, the Cowboys did it consecutive years. And that's what Super Bowl 23 and 24. Where the Cowboys beat the Bills both years in a row. It's hard to do. It's hard to repeat and get back to the Super Bowl. Let alone have both teams do the same thing. And one of the biggest things that I've said when it comes to the NFL. Is parity exists in this sport more or greater than any other sport. The Jacksonville Jaguars had the worst team in the NFL last year. They end up getting Trevor Lawrence. He's expected to be the real deal. That team instantly is competitive. They should be in the mix for a playoff spot this year. That's the problem in the NFL. It's hard to have a dynasty, and that's why you appreciate a little bit what the 49ers did in the 80s, what the Cowboys did in the 90s, what the Patriots did. Really did for the balance of 20 years. In this day and age, with free agency being what it is, the struggles that exist when it comes to the salary cap in the National Football League, you start to really appreciate what teams have been able to do. Passball shows brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, I'm happy to be with you. You can check out the Passball Show on YouTube. It's also available as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.